Good afternoon, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another edition of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Mike Jackman, and doing a burn the news today. Uh, like I said yesterday, I'm going to try and do one of these a day. Um, I really love uh, interacting with everybody and uh, seeing your chats and, and um, questions and comments. It's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, boy, it's a hot one today. I'll tell you guys. It's got to be... Uh, Got to be like 95 degrees at least. I'm very soupy, but uh, I got my summer shirt on with my pineapples. I hope you guys uh, dig it. And uh, yesterday I wanted to give a review about the Les Wexner documentary uh, that's on Hulu, Angels and Demons, um, you know, about Victoria's Secret. And I totally forgot to or uh, just didn't get to it. But I watched that new Hulu series, which came out uh, last week. It's a three-part series. And uh, it goes into a lot of information about Les Wexner that's not uh, not typically seen on the news. And, you know, he's a name that you don't really uh, hear a lot, you know, as far as the uh, the deep well of, of names and research uh, with respect to the whole Epstein story. So, you know, they went into his background and how he uh, had the limited going and then how that morphed into Victoria's Secret and, you know, the way they were running the show over there. Uh, you know, they certainly had um, a lot of young models that they were bringing in from all over the world. And uh, they mentioned in the documentary, uh, spoiler alert, that uh, Jean-Luc Brunel was part of that. And we know what happened to him recently. So I thought it was great to see names like uh, Jean-Luc Brunel, um, of course, Ghislaine Maxwell, Robert Maxwell, uh, mentioned in this three-part documentary. Um, I would say the second part, uh, and, and really most of the third part is really where it gets into a lot of the information about, um, you know, Wexner's connections with uh, Epstein. And they spend a good chunk of one of the episodes actually going over Maria Farmer's story. Um, Maria doesn't appear in the documentary, but it does cover her story a lot. So um, I would definitely be interested to get her thoughts on that. We had her on Jackman Radio, um, I think. I think last year or earlier this year, not too long ago, but if you want to go back and check that episode out, that was a great chat that we had with Maria. Let's see if we get some uh, good chat here from Shannon Lee. Hey, Shannon, nice to see you. Thanks for joining us today. It's super icky down here in Florida. Nice pineapples. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad, uh, glad you like the shirt. Uh, I can only imagine how hot it is in Florida. Um, I visited the Sunshine State a few times in my life, and uh, I enjoyed going there. But I have to say, as a uh, New Englander and, and somebody with uh, Canadian heritage, uh, I, I enjoy the cold a lot more, and I do well in uh, colder, colder climates. Um, although winter in New Hampshire can be pretty brutal, you know, it's basically the better part of six months. Um, still beautiful and. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be nice to have a spot in Florida, though, during the uh, the harsh months of winter up here, like in, you know, December, January, and February. Um, yeah, I haven't been to Florida in probably, I think 2006 was the last time I was down there. I was visiting my uncle um, in Cape Canaveral. Had a great time. You know, the shuttles uh, shuttle takes off near there. And, um, yeah, it's a fun time down there. It sounds like, uh, sounds like a lot of people are moving down to Florida from all over the country. Um, I have other family down there and friends, so maybe we'll get back down there at uh, at some point. Another news item I wanted to touch today was the uh, president of Mexico, uh, Andres Lopez Obrador, 
uh, has offered to uh, house Julian Assange and has offered him asylum. So I thought that was a really cool story. Um, apparently, when he met with Trump towards the end of Trump's presidency, he had a letter that he gave to him, you know, basically saying if he's if you decide not to go forward with charging him or he's released or whatnot, um, Mexico, you know, Mexico will take him. And Trump should have been like, oh, Mexico is going to take Assange. OK, they're going to build a wall for Assange. But doesn't of course, Trump didn't do anything with that. Uh, didn't help him. Didn't help Snowden. You know, there was a lot of opium going around at that time. Um, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to believe, but I, 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 I tried to, I, I was like, I don't think it's going to happen. And of course it didn't happen. Some of the pardons he did do were very interesting. Like some of those rappers and some of the other people he decided to pardon. Um, of course there were some good ones, you know, people who were in jail for stupid drug charges. Um, you know, I think anybody who's in prison in the United States for uh, victimless crime like marijuana or really any drug like that, that they were just using for personal use should be, uh, should be let out of prison, you know, especially when you see some of these folks in there for life. It's, uh, it's beyond ghoulish. Uh, but that was cool. And then he met with uh, President Biden, uh, the president of Mexico. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he extended the same invitation to Julian Assange. And he also wrote a beautiful letter to Biden. And then Biden took it and he tried to shake someone's hand who wasn't there. The man who wasn't there. There's more clips of uh, of Biden trying to shake people's hands. And I don't know. It's I don't know if he's like seeing stuff because he, he might be clairvoyant or, um, you know, he might be getting towards the end of the line. And they say sometimes when you're near the end, you start to kind of have you have one one foot on the, you know, on the other side. You can see things kind of like Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost. Biden's like, Autumn, eh? Where's Autumn, eh? Say, tell Jill Ditto. Tell her Ditto. And uh, today's sponsored by Landshark. Not really sponsored, but um, boy, it helps on a hot summer day. Mm. So we're pushing towards 3,000 uh, subs here on our Jack and Radio YouTube. We'd love to get it up to 3,000. So anybody watching, if you want to like, subscribe, share it, you know, ding the notification bell, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, we want to try and get all of our numbers up. So we're trying to hustle here on YouTube and we're looking to other platforms. We're, we're looking into doing possibly a Rockfin or an Odyssey, you know, just so we can have some backup. And uh, but, yeah, the latest with Assange, he's appealing because they did uh, over in England, they did rule that he could be. Uh, extradited to the United States to face charges. And of course, he's looking at, I think, 18 counts, you know, uh, espionage, um, military secrets, the cables, and the, you know, the claim from the United States government and people in the media who want his head, they're saying that the stuff that was released, um, you know, threatened our, the, the safety of our troops and, and allies and gave up compromising information that could hurt them. And that's, that has uh, borne out to be false. That's not true. That's not the case. And yeah, sorry guys, I do have a fan going. It's very hot. So if it's uh, too loud, I can, I can shut it off. Just let me know. But uh, yeah, Assange is looking at the rest of his life and then some in prison and the district down there where he's going to be facing um, the charges uh, has not historically been very kind to whistleblowers. Um, I think that's where, Jeffrey Sterling was sentenced, and I think um, the other fellow there who was recently locked up for talking about our drones, um, his name escapes me, I apologize. 
IB Denmark. How's it going? Good to see you. Hey. Shannon Lee, hey. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, a really great comedy special that uh, came out on YouTube, if you guys haven't had a chance to see it, is uh, Jim Brewer's new special, uh, Somebody Had to Say It. It's brilliant, man. It's it's As far as comedy specials that have come out in the last couple of years, I would say that one, um, Shane Gillis's, which also came out on YouTube, uh, Ricky Gervais had a recent one on Netflix, and then Chappelle had one on Netflix recently, The Closer, which was awesome. And all these guys are just up there uh, just saying a lot of stuff that's on people's minds, I think, across the country, you know, and in the cultural zeitgeist, um, a lot of stuff that people might be afraid to say, uh, you know, for fear of, uh, you know, retribution or clapback. But, um, boy, Brewer, Brewer just comes right out with it, man. He just uh, – he comes out with guns blazing in this special. I mean, he, he just, as far as the last two and a half years of, of everything that's been going on, man, uh, he, he in my opinion, he just nails it. He just absolutely nails it. So if you guys haven't watched it yet, uh, Jim Brewer's new comedy special on YouTube, um, somebody had to say it, totally worth watching. Another uh, great film I was able to watch recently was a uh, music documentary about Frank Zappa. Uh, man, that guy was ahead of his time. Uh, it's uh, directed by um, Alex Winter from Bill and Ted. Uh, he plays uh, plays Bill, the, the blonde one, in the Bill and Ted films. And he's he, Alex Winter's become quite a filmmaker and uh, documentary document uh, documentary filmmaker. And he made uh, this flick Zappa. And it just goes into his background and it does touch on uh, Zappa living in Laurel Canyon. And an interesting nugget that I saw in the film that I hadn't uh, heard before. Um, there's one part where they're interviewing Frank Zappa's uh, widow, who has also since passed. I think she passed a couple years ago. And she recalls a time um, when they were living in Laurel Canyon and, you know, she was in her, her bedroom in the morning and there was a, a trail that was near the property where she lived and other properties in Laurel Canyon. And she saw, uh, she saw all these young kind of tweaked out hippie-ish type people running around and making noise. And she could see their legs and their feet, you know, from her window. So they had this trail right near her house and it turns out it was the Charles Manson and the Manson family. So the uh, LSD MK ultra uh, CIA acid cult that Manson was part of was like basically a budded, uh, Zappa's property, and they were there part of that scene. And according to Zappa's widow, she was saying, those guys creep me out. You know, I don't want anything to do with them. You know, they scare me. They're, they're bad news. Um, you know, and they're behaving even more out there than your average uh, your average hippie or Laurel Canyon uh, acolyte at that time, which is a really interesting scene. And I know we've talked about some of the research about the acts that came out of Laurel Canyon, and a lot of them a lot of these young musicians uh, who seemingly came out of nowhere had parents who were either in the military, military intelligence, um, part of like defense contractors, uh, these corporations that had, you know, all these uh, ties to the government. And uh, Zappa was pretty candid about his father's work for a big, uh, basically it was a, a weaponized uh, gas company and they created, you know, uh, gas weapons and, and uh, weaponry for, for war and did studies on that. And um, 
part of Zappa's upbringing was he had these gas masks in his house and just all this really weird, interesting uh, stuff from his background. So it almost seems like in Zappa's case, he kind of revolted against a lot of those ideas of militarism and, and being part of the system. And if you look at his whole career, um, he really was always against, you know, the music industry and he never really sought to have a hit record or create like a hit song. He did have a couple. He had that one in the early 80s with his daughter, uh, Valley Girls, which was, uh, that was a pretty ubiquitous track back then. Um, but I've never dug too much into Zappa's music. And uh, I think it's a documentary worth watching, you know, if you're someone who's into music or into researching, you know, the Laurel Canyon scene or uh, some of the history of the 1960s and, you know, the LSD being dispensed out there in California and, and uh, how it got there and, and uh, what the what the effects were. So that's... Uh, that's interesting stuff, you know, and speaking of that scene, I did get a chance uh, about 10 days ago to go see Brian Wilson, uh, one of the founders of the Beach Boys, uh, performing with another Beach Boy, Al Jardine, and uh, they did a concert down in Massachusetts with uh, the band Chicago, and uh, it was a great show. I mean, they played Chicago uh, was the headliner. Uh, Brian Wilson opened up with his fantastic band. And they did all the Beach Boys hits. It's a great time, really great to be outside and see some live music. And uh, after they played, Chicago came on, and they, they just blew the roof off the place. I mean, just hit, talk about hit after hit. You know, the, so even songs that I, I knew the song, but I was like, oh, this is by Chicago? This isn't like the Doobie Brothers or uh, one of those other bands, you know, one of those Yacht Rock type bands, late 70s, early 80s, but uh, lots of hits and we had really great seats, so I was excited to to have those seats, and we got to go with Eric, and uh, it was a great show. But, uh, yeah, certainly Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys were part of the Laurel Canyon scene. Excuse me. And more so, Dennis Wilson was connected uh, to uh, Charles Manson. The, uh, the Manson family actually decided to uh, – well, Charles Manson was a musician, and he wanted to get a uh, – you know, a record contract and he wanted to try and get his music to uh, the Beach Boys and to record it. And, you know, he showed up with the family to Dennis Wilson's house and just kind of decided that he was going to move in and kind of take over the scene. So that's a really interesting story. Um, Tom O'Neill, the author, talks a lot about that uh, in his book Chaos, which is all about the Manson family that he spent over 20 years researching and, um, you know, Manson's connections with the music industry um, you know, intelligence agencies and, uh, you know, MK Ultra and the government. So there's an interesting story there. That's definitely a book that's, uh, that's worth reading. So it's interesting because a lot of these bands I really, I grew up listening to and really liked, but uh, when you see some of the research about the connections and who was around them and it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know what to make. I don't know quite what to make of it. Uh, some researchers think that a lot of the 60s scene, you know, like the Grateful Dead, Buffalo Springfield, um, you know, bands like that from the Laurel Canyon scene uh, were, were used or co-opted to try and get people to, uh, you know, create a certain mindset and, and act a certain way and to, uh, you know, to be corralled and controlled. And in a conversation I had with Stephen Kinzer, who wrote the book Poisoner in Chief, which is about uh, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who, who was in charge of the MK Ultra uh, mind control program at the CIA, um, he tends to think that it actually backfired on them, uh, trying to use LSD to, uh, 
you control people. He thinks the opposite happened, and they inadvertently led to the uh, revolution of the mind that happened. So I'd like to have uh, Kinzer on again to talk about that. It's a fascinating subject. But, uh, yeah, that was a great concert, and um, definitely want to try to make it to some more of those uh, when they come around. And uh, last night I checked out a new podcast uh, Andrew Yang's doing called The Forward Podcast, uh, which he's a Jackman Radio. Uh, he was a guest on our show back in 2019. Um, we actually had him on the week that he did Joe Rogan, just like I think five days before he went on Joe Rogan. And uh, that was cool to sit down and chat with him. But he since left the Democratic Party because he saw he saw how corrupt it was, how unfair, um, how they treat any kind of candidate who's a little bit out of line from what their talking points are and, and uh, what the mainstream determines and dictates. And, um, you know, he's just saying he's, he did hundreds of media appearances and appeared on camera so many times that he just got to be very uh, robotic and rehearsed. And he really hated that. He started to really hate that. And if you listen to his uh, forward podcast, um, he had, he had a great conversation with the comedian Shane Gillis and he had on Jesse Ventura and, uh, they sat down and had an awesome uh, hour-long conversation all about the idea of third parties. So it was really inspiring to see that. It's a, it's a great conversation. Um, I haven't looked too much into Andrew's Yang forward party and, and who's funding that or what's involved, but I'm definitely very interested in what he's doing. And uh, I'm going to look into that more and maybe we can invite him back on to uh, discuss that um, because he was looking at some of the statistics and the numbers of how many people vote and participate here in the United States. And there's a large amount of the country that doesn't vote. And they're, you know, they're disgusted by the two party duopoly and the two party system that we have in this country. That's really not done a lot of great things, um, you know, for us. And I would argue the last uh, 40 years, I mean, it's just gridlock, it's fighting, it's corporate control, uh, it's control from the Pentagon, um, you know, a, a closeness with the media, and it's benefited a few people, and it's screwed over the rest of the country. So there's a lot of people here in the country who are just, they're not involved. They don't want to participate. They don't believe in it. And, you know, I can totally understand that. You know, a lot of people feel like their vote doesn't count, doesn't matter or mean anything. So they're just going to stay home out of it. Oh, that was good. That was a good poll. I think this is uh, Jimmy Buffett's beer, Land Shark, by the way. Thanks, Jimmy Buffett. Cheeseburger in paradise. But I want to see, I would love to see another third party. Um, but like I said yesterday, I'm excited with what the Libertarian Party is doing. Um, and Ventura, you know, he was saying how I think even in 2020, the Green Party, he was flirting with the Green Party a little bit. And um, ha he said, the you know, third parties have the same amount of... Uh, disarray and chaos as any other political party, you know, even the, the, the two big ones. Um, it seems like, though, with Republicans and Democrats, they stamp out any kind of real dissent that's in there, you know, at least in the third parties, there can be different um, factions that can exist. But he was saying last time around, the Green Party just, they just didn't have it. They were divided. And if he was going to be in there, um, he was going to have to try and bring the party together. And half the party didn't want him to be um, part of it, because back in when he ran in 98 for governor in Minnesota and he won, um, it was the Reform Party. And then that became 
that became the Independence Party. And so that's what he, he ran with. But basically his point is any third party that's going to emerge, if it's going to be viable, they have to be on the ballot in all 50 states. And you know, they have to be able to participate in the uh, debates with the two, the two corporate parties, uh, Democrats and Republicans. And his argument is that even if it gets up to 15% in the polls, which is what the Commission on Debates says that you have to have in order to participate, they're just going to raise that to 20%. <laughs> and I remember that frustration we had with Gary Johnson uh, big time when he was running in 2016. Uh, he was able to, uh, um, I think, get up to, uh, I think Gary got up to like 12%. He got up to around 12% in several polls, but then they they dictate and change and determine which polls they're going to allow. Um, so it's, you know, that's part of it. And um, if they do that, then they're never going to let another voice in there. So I, I can see the reluctance and the uh, frustration with that. But um, I don't know. I think this time around, libertarians have the best shot at, at doing something. You know, if Dave Smith decides to throw his hat in the ring, um, you know, that will be, I think that would be a worthwhile endeavor. And I think you'd be able to command a lot of media cycles and make a lot of great media appearances. And, uh, that'd be a good thing. So let's see what's, if we have any chats here, Alexander, a million off. What is up? <laughs> yeah. The opposite of down is up, Alexander. And you can't tell me otherwise because I was a Navy SEAL. I know about these things, okay? I've been on so many ops with Dick Marcinko, it would make the hair stand up on the back of your head. Ventura's looking good too, man. He's, he's he looking like he, he's been working out. He's sun-kissed. He's living down in the Baja, an hour from pavement and electricity. I'm completely off the grid now. I got a Tesla car, and my house is completely run on solar panels. So Governor Jesse Ventura is green. You can say that. Hey, good for him, man. We love the body. Body. We, we hope we can have the body back on Jacqueline Radio at some point. Chat from Harriet. Harriet, how you doing? So much respect for Mexican president. Love him. Hashtag free Assange. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... uh. Free Assange, we need to keep that in the uh, out in the zeitgeist, you know. I wish we had free Assange flags and posters the same way that we had for the Ukraine, you know. And I wish we had that for what's been going on in Yemen since 2014. Um, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately we don't. But there, there's still a lot of people who, who know about that and know the way he's basically been tortured and treated the last several years, denied access to, you know, basic healthcare needs and you know he suffered a stroke last october um but yeah if, if this case you know goes down the way it's looking like it's going to go down man that's going to be a really bad really bad precedent for all press and all independent press around the world you know you're not going to see um whistleblowers like chelsea manning or snowden uh want to come out when they see malfeasance done and they see uh waste or corruption or the wrong thing being done in our name it's going to just have a chilling effect be like look what happened to, look what happened to the last guy that we did this to you know ib denmark stop all aid to israel 
Yeah, I remember when uh, Senator Rand Paul was talking about that several years ago, and then Netanyahu showed up and gave a speech to uh, Congress and uh, talk about chilling effect. Somebody somebody got Rand in line on that one. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but he, he didn't show up to one of Netanyahu's speeches at, <laughs> in Congress, and they are like, uh, no, you were you're coming. Your participation is, is uh, not optional. <laughs> I think, you know, Dr. Ron Paul goes even further and says, stop all aid to everybody. You know, we're giving Ukraine $30 million a day. Meanwhile, there's people here in America sleeping under bridges, people being evicted from their apartments, people who can't get food and medicine. You know, it's horrible what's going on. Uh, all the wars are horrible. There shouldn't be any war. But to try and simplify the Russia-Ukraine thing down to Vlad is a Nazi, Vlad bad, Ukraine good, is, is oversimplifying the whole thing. Um, you know, it's something that didn't happen in a vacuum. It's been going on for years. Um, we've kind of had a proxy presence and a proxy war going on with, with Russia for a long time. And, you know, seeing ghouls like Victoria Newland sleezing around over there, Robert Kagan's wife, and, uh, you know, other forces basically, uh, basically pushing Putin to it. You know, it's like Sean Connery said, they just push it to it. They just, uh, you know, they don't know what NATO just doesn't know when to stop. You know, even when you let NATO get the last word, they just have to keep it going. So that's kind of that's that might be simplifying it a little bit, too. But but uh, you're not going to really see fair, even coverage about that on any of our mainstream news channels. You know, to, to even have an adult conversation about it, you know, because it is an emotional thing. And and I understand that. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, what that could lead to a nuclear exchange. That's not something anybody wants. I'd be Denmark. Same here. I'd be Denmark. Do we give aid to Denmark? I don't know. I know that a lot of these countries, once I get back in there, are going to start paying their fair share, okay? And we're not going to be pushed around anymore. Okay, Germany is going to start paying, and they're going to start paying bigly. I remember that clip when he went over there, and he was he was talking to all the world leaders at the press conference, and he was bossy pants at the table, you know, pass me the great poupon. He was just there basically farting in all their faces like Arnold Schwarzenegger farted in that actress's face um, intentionally in that movie. And, um, you know, we've, we've been offering protection for a long time, and that's fine. But they're going to pay their fair share. Basically like a mafia boss. You know, like the, the, the great mafia Don. But, uh, yeah, I was reading uh, two uh, stories again of, of certain Democratic Party members who are hoping that Trump announces before the midterms um, if he's going to run again in 24. So, uh that was interesting. I be Denmark. We do now. Yeah. I don't know, man. The whole the whole apparatus and the whole machine is so big. It's like, how do you stop any of it? Like, if you throw a wrench in it, I feel like eventually, the, it, you know, it might slow something down a little bit. But the whole, overall, the thing just is the wrench will snap and it will just keep grinding. It will just keep on. So it's not really something that, uh, that that's going to change under a Republican or a Democratic uh, presidency. But um, certainly I think if the king gets back in there, he's going to try and fulfill certain things that he wasn't able to do during his first term. And I mean, I think we'll see him be really, really unhinged and off the rocker and really just knowing, you know, that he's not going to be up for re-election again. So, you know, he'll want to, uh, <laughs> he'll want to really bring the, uh, the fire and the chaos. You know, I remember during his first term, uh, how many parts of the government, um, didn't just they didn't even hire positions 
Uh, some of them were basically just like light bulb, just like empty office buildings and empty offices in certain positions that, that are typically filled under a normal presidency. They weren't even like nominated or filled. And you had a huge turnover. And it was just, it was just kind of amazing to see. John B. John B., how you doing? Jesse has a substack now. Die first, then quit. Wish he'd start up conspiracy theory again. That's right, John. It's an old Navy SEAL saying, die first, then quit. You know why they say that? Because I ain't going to stop talking until I'm dead. I, I, just, I just hit my 70. I've been around the sun 71 times, John. I've seen a lot of shit. I fought Vince McMahon. I was a Navy SEAL. And I fought the Predator. I didn't beat the Predator, but I came pretty damn close. And if you gave me a rematch, I bet I could beat him and make him spit that green stuff out of his face and blow up. Uh, yeah, no, uh, the body's on Substack. And uh, him and his awesome son, Tyrell, uh, have some great articles and pictures and podcasts and interviews and stuff. Uh, yeah, they do They do great work, man. Support the body. Uh, check out his Substack and uh, we're also on sub Substack as well, Jackman Radio. Um, I've got in the last couple of weeks, I've written about I think four articles um, talking about uh, the 2004 election um, and how that was really when I decided uh, that I didn't want to be a part of either party. Um, I was, I guess, I considered myself a Democrat in 2003, 2004. Uh, you have to forgive me; I was like 17, 18 years old. Um, I was a big Kerry supporter, you know, uh, thought that if he got in there against Bush, he was going to end the Iraq war. <laughs> How mistaken I was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I wrote an article just about that and about RFK Jr.'s uh, really interesting Rolling Stone piece that came out in 2005 or six about the 04 election and a lot of the irregularities. You know, there was a time where we could talk about election fraud and election theft. Um, I really do think there's a case to be made for 2000 with Florida and uh, certainly 2004 in Ohio. I mean, there's just so much information. We could do a whole other podcast just talking about that. But, you know, in Ohio, you have a guy, Kenneth Blackwell, um, who was a co-chair on Bush's re-election campaign in 04, was also the secretary of the state in Ohio. So his job was to certify the election and make sure that the votes were counted. And you just see through all this really great research, you know, that's out there um, that he was involved in the machines that were tabulating and looking at the votes in real time. And they had the technology to um, alter the count. Um, you know, Hacking Democracy is a great documentary that kind of came out around that time with uh, Bev Harris that shows all the ways that things can be rigged or stolen or, or padded. And it's not a new thing. It's not unique to 2020. And you know, what happened with 2020. Um, I honestly haven't done a ton of research into 2020. I, I just, you know, since 2004, the election fraud issue, I've always felt it's an important one. And there's basic things you can do with election fraud. Um, obviously, you need to have proper identification. Uh, I think a paper trail, a verifiable paper trail is a, a great way to start. Um, don't just let it be on machines. The big issue, one of the big issues in Ohio in 04, uh, was Diebold was involved in, I think, three big counties in Ohio. And there were huge irregularities, huge lines, people having to wait in line for 12 hours just to cast a vote. Um, and you look at, you know, 
in the 88 counties in Ohio where that was done. And it, it all benefited the Republicans. Um, so a lot of the stuff that went on with uh, Blackwell and Carl Rove and, and that effort there, um, I wrote a Substack article about that called Tell Me About Ohio. And I also um, kind of dug into Michael Connell, who was a GOP IT guy uh, who built George W. Bush's campaign website. He did work for John McCain. Uh, he was close with Carl Rove and had a private email server for Carl Rove. Talk about emails, okay? Talk about emails being acid washed. What Carl Rove did with his emails and uh, the Republicans there, that was disgusting. A lot of people don't really talk about that. But uh, that's certainly all there. And uh, I have an article up about, um, you know, January 6th and what Liz Cheney's doing with the committee. So um, let me put the link up here for our Substack. We put that in the comments too. So, yeah, I'm trying to do some more writing and do you know one stream a day and get the information out there and uh, stories of that that I care about or, in my opinion, are important um, that you might not see in other places. So, yeah, guys, um, if you like all of our stuff, you know, be sure to like this video, uh, subscribe to Jackman Radio here on YouTube, you know, share the links, um, hit that. Uh, Hit that reminder bell and uh you know we'll be able to connect more and do more of these stories so let me see if i have any more of these chats here i do have to kind of cut out a little earlier here today but i think that's about it and uh really appreciate everybody listening and all your support and uh we will see you tomorrow <laughs>